Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Postcast, a production of the Casper Star Tribune and Pokes Authority. I am Davis Potter, Wyoming beat writer for the Star Tribune, and I'll be joined by my usual sidekick, Brady Oltmans, our Wild Varsity Preps writer, a little later, but welcome to another college football season. The offseason is officially over, Wyoming open fall camp on Friday, so I wanted to come out here and preview fall camp but before we get too deep into that i first wanted to uh send thoughts and prayers to the people in dayton ohio and el paso texas with the mass shootings that occurred there over the weekend i don't know if we have any listeners from ohio or texas but if there are any i just wanted to personally let you know that i'm thinking about you guys um i'm not going to get too political on here but to say we have a massive issue when it comes to gun violence in this country is an understatement, and we've got to get something figured out. But I know most of you are tuned in to hear about Wyoming football, so that's what we are going to talk about. Uh, so I will uh, hit on some of what the players and coaches have been saying, even going back to Mountain West Media Days in Las Vegas last month, and then uh, at Wyoming's local media day that they had uh, here over the weekend. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to get into like too much detail or go talk about like <laughs> what's actually going on in the field right now because we have not, we as in the media have not had an opportunity to view practice yet. Um, since Friday was media day, they did not open up practice and none of their weekend practices are open. So our, our first opportunity, um, to view practice and our first media availability, um, in camp will be Monday. Uh, if you missed any of our uh, coverage from Mount West Media Days or any of our coverage from the local media day here in Laramie over the weekend, um, be sure to check out Treb.com and PokesAuthority.com um, for all of that coverage. And obviously, we've, we'll have you covered throughout fall camp and obviously up, up and into the season. So make sure you guys stay checked into all of our coverage that will be coming. Um, but I will say first, it, yeah, I think this season can go a lot of different ways for Wyoming. Um, there's a lot of different variables and a lot of questions that they still have to answer. Um, you know, they were picked to finish fourth in the Mountain Division in the uh, Mountain West preseason poll, um, which I think was about where a lot of people had them pegged. I picked them to finish third, um, but I think going into the this season, there's at least to start, there's a clear pecking order. I think Boise State and Utah State are, are in a tier by themselves. Um, and I think it's everybody else in the Mountain Division. And I think in the middle, um, I think it's kind of three tiers in the division. Uh, obviously, Boise State and Utah State. And then I think in the middle is Air Force and Wyoming. Um, Air Force was a team that was picked by the media to finish third. Uh, I mean, I think you can flip a coin and put those two teams in any order there in the middle that you wanted to and then um obviously new mexico and uh, colorado state uh this tour to be in the bottom tier and uh, the division going into the season at least but um yeah I, I i will say this for wyoming and particularly the players man that they do not lack for confidence i mean there were a lot of players that talked on friday um about the fact that they you know, they didn't necessarily uh, agree with them being picked fourth. Um, you know, Sean Chambers, the quarterback, you know, he said he even laughed about it. And, um, you know, is this sort of, I guess, serving as some sort of motivation for them. Um, but, I mean, it, look, it's 
them being picked, you know, in the middle of the division is is justifiable, you know, considering what they lost, uh, considering some of the questions they've got. Obviously, they are restarting um, to an extent at quarterback. I know Sean played a handful of games at the end of last year, but, um, you know, the, the packages and, and the plays that he was able to run in that offense were very limited. Um, and so, basically, he was just a, a big running back back there. And, obviously, um, you know, ended up getting hurt you know, fourth on his fourth game. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't just aren't sure what he looks like as a passer because he just didn't do it a whole lot last season. And that's obviously a big question um, going into this year is can this offense be more balanced uh, after being one of the worst passing offenses in the country last year? Um, it, you know, th- there's been a lot of talk about how, you know, Sean is a lot more comfortable in the offense now and how they're not going to put any restraints and limitations on what they what they're going to be able to call and you know they're fixing to you know open up the entire playbook and um you know the the idea at least is is to be a more uh unpredictable offense and um you know really be able to 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 throw the ball and loosen up defenses because obviously you know going into this year defenses I think you know, if you watched Wyoming at all last season, uh, whether it be with with Tyler Vanderbilt and what they did in the, when the running game with with Nico Evans or or Sean Chambers and what he was able to do with his legs, uh, you have to think that most teams are going to load up the box and, and make Sean beat them through the air. And, and until he's able to consistently prove that he can do that, um, I think you're gonna you're just going to see teams stack the box and put. You know, seven, eight, maybe even nine guys up there to to take away uh, what what Wyoming really wants to do. And that's and that's run the ball, obviously, and then do play action off of that. And then all of the the pieces that you lost on defense last year, the 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 you know sort of the, the marquee names and the cornerstones to to what's been a really good defense at Wyoming the last couple of years. And you think about Andrew Wingard, Marcus Epps, Carl Granderson, Johanna Gaffan. They have to they have to replace a lot of production. Um, with those guys, um, so I mean, those are those are two of the the bigger questions. Obviously, you got some less experienced guys filling in in, in some of those spots. Um, so, you know, th- those are those are some questions uh, that they obviously have to get answered. But uh, you know, this team just talking to, to the, some of the players and coaches on on, on Friday, um, you know, they're they're they don't lack for any confidence, man. They're they are. Uh, they think they can be a lot better than that fourth place projection. Um, and even in some of the players you talk to, that they honestly believe that there's still enough um, talent and experience um, on this team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, uh, where they can compete legitimately uh, for the Mountain Division Championship and make a legitimate run at that. Um, I, I think this this season for Wyoming comes down to really two things: uh, the progression of Sean Chambers and him throwing the football, and their ability to stay healthy up front because they're go they're going into the season already down two offensive linemen for the year in Gavin Rush and Zach Watts, who obviously had season ending um, knee injuries uh, in spring practice. So um, with their front group, their starting five. Um, yeah, I think I think that that's a really good offensive line that they have, um, and might be among the best in the league. 
but if they're they're another injury or two away, if that happens, from that becoming a really dire situation. Um, so the. And we're talking about like major significant season ending injuries here. I mean, obviously when you go through a season in football, I mean, you're going to have, you're going to have injuries along the offensive line. They don't need any, any more catastrophic injuries uh, to where they're having, uh, you know, to go without certain guys for the rest of the year and really having to shuffle things to a major extent um, just to find, uh, you know, a formidable offensive line. So if they can stay healthy, up there, I, I think they can they can surpass expectations and, and be a pretty good offense. But obviously, that's that's a big if when you're talking about a position that 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 can be uh, so injury prone uh, throughout the course of a season. But um, I think another question that they have to they have to figure out, and, and I've written a little bit about this um, at, at PokesAuthority.com and, and Trib.com, um, but the depth. Uh, because you, you uh, at a lot of places, uh, uh, you know, at the, at the top of their depth chart, they're pretty solid. I mean, they know what they've got, but they, you know, it's the second, it's the third team guys uh, that they really are still trying to solidify, and they're still trying to uh, figure out who can actually help them this year. And um, you know, it's it, they're gonna some of these newcomers that are coming in. And by the way, Wyoming didn't have any non qualifiers among their uh, incoming class, so all of the all of the freshmen are here and going through practice, and and that's a good thing because you know they're going to have to count on some of these guys maybe to, to fill in some of these uh, spots lower down the depth chart. Um, so they have to they have to find some quality depth behind their starters, and, and that and that's that's a that's an issue um, that they have sort of almost across the board um, when you when you just look at you know who's actually has experience who's actually played in games um you know that that, that, that's an issue behind um you know their starters and um that's something that they're probably going to take um the entire fall camp if not a few games into the regular season before they actually can figure out what guys uh you know first of all have have the the skill set and the talent to sort of to be uh contributors right away um and who they're going to be able to rely on um for the rest of the year uh, and when it comes to to guys that they want to rotate in and out um, so uh, you know I mean almost in every level of football man it's you know it, the teams that that have the most experience and the most depth in the trenches along the offensive and defensive lines um, those are the teams that are most successful I mean it, it doesn't matter what level you're at man if if you can if you can run the ball stop the run um, you know, you've got a chance to win a lot of games. So um, that's sort of my overview on it, Brady. Um, I that was sort of a long-winded overview, but that's just some of my takeaways uh, just from talking to, to some of them over the weekend. Things are just going to open up a little bit more um, for the offense. Um, now comfortable in the system, they're going to let Sean kind of – presuming Sean Chambers is QB1 day one um, – they're going to kind of take the training wheels off a little bit because of his familiarity with the system and getting back to full health. Um, like you said, there's that the intriguing depth question on the offensive line is going to be interesting. Uh, but And losing C.J. Johnson is a huge blow um, for that receiving core, which really needs some steady hands. Um, but they have young promise 
out there, which is going to be interesting to watch. But on the defensive side, it seems like I don't want to say that there's urgency, but it it it, it definitely seems like there is a sense of urgency there. I mean, you've got veteran guys who are now in their last year of eligibility. They're looking they know that they don't want to end their college careers the way last season ended. Um yeah, yeah they're going to have to fill gaps especially on the defensive line like you said. Yeah, there's there's going to be the uncertainty of safety where, you know, you you lose two two cor- valuable cornerstones that the program has seen for years. Um, and you kind of got to fill in for them, but the reality is the the backbone, the spine, the middle of that defense is its strength, and that is back. And it's t- and those guys are really going to be pushing for because of that sense of urgency because this is kind of their last year to do it. So I'm I'm certainly fascinated with how. How much are they going to push it this year? How much are they going to get after their teammates? Because they know that this is it. You know, some of these yeah. younger guys might know. Well, you know, we don't get it this year, or we we don't hit our marks of improvement this year. We get, that's going to make us more driven for next year. But for the guys, for the seniors, there is no next year. So that's going to be fascinating. Um, as always, just because of my current position, I'm looking at some of the walk-ons or the Wyoming kids. Um, that are um, on roster. It was interesting to me. Um, Wyoming Media Day depth chart showed uh, Sheridan graduate Parker Christensen at tight end. Honestly, I like that. I mean, he's got a big frame. They can put him in the weight room and get weight on him. He's probably he's got a frame very similar uh, to Josh Harshman now. And you get him in the weight room, and he could yeah. work right in. I mean, that could be great. I'm there, there's. I mean, there were a couple of others. I know I tweeted them out, um, some of the ones that stick out, and it's obviously going to be something that will probably be talked about throughout the season. But uh, those are the the key things that I'm kind of keeping an eye on myself. Yeah. You mentioned C.J. Johnson. I guess I did some recap videos instead of a podcast from Mountain West Media Day, so I guess this is the first time we've actually done a podcast since uh, Mountain West Media Day is out in Las Vegas last month. But – yeah, that that happened at Mount West Media Days. Um, you know, Craig Bull announced that that CJ Johnson will not play his senior year. Um, yeah, I, I guess that he just he said he just didn't make as much progress as he wanted to because it, it seemed like you know even talking to CJ and some of the coaches in the spring that he he was close. He was he was he was really close to getting back to uh, full health. Um, from that knee injury that, that he suffered back in the potato bowl at the end of the 2017 season. Uh, but those, man, those knee injuries can always be tricky. You know, it's, you know, one, one wrong cut, one wrong turn, you know, on the grass out there. And, uh, you know, you can tweak something really quick. And, uh, you know, Craig said he, that CJ didn't really suffer a physical setback, but it was just the fact that, um, you know, he, he did not make as much progress and didn't come as far along during the spring as he wanted to. Um, so they are going to pursue a medical hardship waiver for him, uh, which basically means he's retiring the rest of his for his college career. And if he gets that, then he won't count against their uh, 85 scholarships. Um, so 
Uh, no, yeah, as you mentioned, obviously a big blow uh, to a receiving core that is in dire need of playmakers to emerge. And obviously, you, you've still got some veterans there: uh, Austin Conway, uh, uh, John O'Quali, and then Rocket Ishmael Jr. Th- those all three of those guys are seniors, um, but you know, just not a lot of explos- explosiveness out of that group and consistency, frankly, out of that group last year. Again, we mentioned that was. Obviously, one one of the worst passing offenses in the country, and obviously the quarterback situation and uh, some protection issues up front. I mean, it had a lot to do with that. So obviously, it wasn't all on the receivers. Um, but yeah, that that's a group that really needs a bounce back year if this offense is is gonna get some of that balance um, that that they're looking for. Uh, and C.J. Johnson was was. You could argue was their most explosive receiver when he was healthy back in 2017. You know, led them uh, in touchdown receptions that year. I think he, I want to say he averaged about 16 yards a catch uh, for his career. Um, so yeah, that's obviously a, a, a major hole and a major piece that they have to uh, that they have to try to fill um, going forward. Uh, and then on the defensive side, Wyoming got a transfer. Um, and Azizi Hearns, who is a cornerback from Arizona. Um, he actually started the last three games for Arizona last year. And I, I'm still trying to get clarity on exactly why he's immediately eligible. Because, yeah, he's not going to have to sit out a year. Um, he was a walk-on at Arizona, and now he's a scholarship player at Wyoming. So maybe that has something to do with it. But regardless, um, he's going to be plugged in right away at cornerback and make a position that is already pretty deep uh, even deeper. I mean, obviously, you have two seniors and Antonio Hall and Tyler Hall back at that position. Uh, but he's he's another guy that's going to be in, get in there and, and probably be a immediate part of the rotation um, going into the next season. Um, so th- just a couple of uh, notes there that from Mountain West Media Days for anybody who may have missed that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's yeah. I think a, a, an interesting thing um, when when you talk about this team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, and I, and I wrote about this um, today. Uh, it, it's a story going up um, later today, which we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, um, but it should be going up um, later today or tonight at uh, trib.com and postauthority.com. But I think fr- from the outside looking in, when you look at this defense, I think there's a there's a belief just because of the names that Wyoming is losing. When you talk about Andrew Wingard, Marcus Epps, Carl Granderson, Johanna Gaffan, the, the cornerstones, as we've mentioned, to what's been one of the best defenses in the Mountain West and in the country the last two years. Uh, with those guys gone, a lot of people think that, well, this defense is naturally it's going to take a step back. and It's not going to be as good. But – as good as those guys were, th- those are those are the four names I think everybody just knew, and it's just kind of that became synonymous with what Wyoming's been able to do defensively over the last couple of years. But when you look at it closer, this team still has more than half of its starters returning on that side of the ball, um, and f- I think five, five or six of their starters are going to be seniors, uh, guys that have played a lot of football. And they have three fifth-year starters in Logan Wilson, um, uh, Antonio Hall, and Josiah Hall, who is 
going to be the the starting defensive end opposite Garrett Crawl on the other side of the ball. Um, you know, Antonio Hall and Logan Wilson have both played in in thirty nine career games. They're tied for the most of anybody that's still left on Wyoming's roster. Josiah Hall's played in thirty five games, uh, and then you have Cash Malua, who you mentioned in the middle of the defense. Those are two seniors um, at linebacker, maybe one of the most seasoned linebacker tandems in the Mountain West. You got Tyler Hall and Antonio Hall at, at corner, two seniors. One of the most, what I think should be one of the best um, cornerback tandems in the league this season. Um, we mentioned Garrett Crawl back. Ravante Holt is taking over at uh, defensive tackle, and um, he is a guy that has kind of been grooming himself for this role uh, because he started three games as a true freshman uh, back in 2017, and then he filled in for Johanna when Johanna got suspended with his legal issues late last season, he started the last four games. So this is a guy that's entering his first year as a full-time starter at defensive tackle, but um, he's played in almost every game the last two years and has seven starts under his belt. So, um, you know, this is – and then there's Elijah Halliburton at safety. Uh, A lot of people forget that uh, when they moved Marcus Epps down to nickel last year, uh, Elijah Halliburton started the last six games at – uh, strong safety and was the fourth leading tackler by the time the season was over. Um, so th- this is a team that still has a lot of experience. Uh, even without Marcus Epps and Andrew Winger in the secondary, they still have a, they have a lot of depth there. CJ Colden is back who, if people will remember, he started the year last year at cornerback um, before he got hurt, started the first three games. He's back. So, I mean, they're, they're four deep at corner right now. Um, and then, Bray- and then Braden Smith is the guy that's filling in, or at least going to get the first crack at uh, taking over at, uh, at uh, free safety for Marcus. Um, the biggest question, I think, um, maybe outside of the interior of the defensive line, is nickel. Because um, right now they've got Keon Blake and Baker there, um, who's, who they moved inside from corner last season. Um, he missed most of uh, spring practice with a hamstring injury. And he's the only only guy listed at nickel right now, and they didn't get a whole get to do a whole lot of evaluation of him in the spring with the injury. Um, and then they just don't have right now. They don't have anybody behind him. Um, you know, I asked Craig Bowl if, if Azizi Hearn might get a look there, but he said they're they're going to s- stick with Azizi at corner right now and, and really give uh, some of these true freshmen coming in. Um, like an Alan Smith, uh, Keontae Glinton, some of these um, higher-rated signees that, that, that they brought in, that those guys are going to get a crack. Uh, and you're probably going to see multiple uh, true freshmen be a part of that rotation at, at nickel, um, you know, depending on what they decide to do. Now, obviously, you know, with, with the numbers and some of the depth that they have, you know, they could they can move Azizi inside to nickel. They could move Tyler Hall back inside to nickel in certain packages. Of course, you know, Tyler started the season last year at nickel before moving back outside to corner, uh, where I think he's – and obviously coaches believe he's uh, – that's the best fit for him. But uh, they've – you know, th- there's obviously some depth concerns there at nickel. Um, but, I mean, with some of the numbers and – the depth and and guys that can play different positions. I think they I think they can sort of mix and match, and I think you're going to see a lot of different packages um, in their four two five base defense because they're not they're not 
um, changing anything schematically under Jake Dickert from what they did under Scotty Hazleton. So, um, you know, a lot of their base stuff and and their schemes are going to be the same. But I won't be surprised if you see uh, them mix things up in the secondary and and move guys to different places and, and try to give offenses a lot of different looks that way. Yeah, I mean, the the injuries, um, the injuries that they sustained last year, and for a couple of times last year, I know we kind of talked about young guys having to step up or inexperienced guys having to step up to take their time. Um, it's seasons like this where, yeah, you might have that depth, a depth issue on the defensive line, but on, but throughout, you have guys who have seen time. You have guys yeah. who have they've had their time to shine. They've had their they've they've played Division One football now a couple of times. They're not completely new to it. They're more comfortable in it now. That's that's the situation that they find themselves in. And yeah, and yeah, I know a lot of. I mean, the conversations are going to be you know life after Scotty on defense and the change of personnel is, um, is another fascinating aspect. I mean. How many times during this offseason did Wyoming have to hire and replace um, assistant coaches and, and alter their yeah. staff just because that's that's the climate of college football nowadays? Um, but that's – don't confuse their depth or maybe shallowness of depth for shallowness of experience uh, because that's, that's what it's going to come down to. And – some of that means with their coupled with the unfamiliarity and getting guys on the same page and getting a cohesive unit out there playing games initially with a bunch of new head coaches or a bunch of new assistant coaches that might show itself early especially against a tougher non-conference um, starting right out with Missouri and having you know some good I, I don't know I, I mean I think that like the Idaho game is a favorable matchup for him. Tulsa's is still an interesting matchup for him. Um, and then, obviously, once you get in the Mountain West grind, um, you've got to be familiar with everybody, and you're probably going to be a little shorter staff than you were coming in, just naturally. It's just the way college football is through attrition. But, um, yeah, it's it's going to be really fascinating um, because, again, like you said, while big names are gone, and not only on the field but, you know, on the sidelines, big names are gone. But by and large, there's a good chunk of this team that returns from last year on a four-game winning streak feeling like they have something to prove this year. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the, the, some of the staff turnover they had. It always helps <laughs> uh, those staff additions when you have experienced players that you're coaching. And, you know, the, the coaches aren't the ones going out there and playing. You know, the players go out there and, and play the games. And if you and if you don't follow or keep up with Wyoming football closely, you, I don't think you realize just how much experience um, that they still have on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I mean, they're as seasoned as any other defense in the Mountain West. And, you know, we'll see what happens once fall camp – they get into – the thick of fall camp and what injuries may pop up here and there. But yeah, I, I don't think that this defense is going to take that much step of a step back, if at all this year. I mean, I still think 
Uh, I still expect them to be among in the top half of the Mountain West in, in statistical categories. Uh, and and most importantly, I just I expect that defense to be to be uh, the same as it has been the last couple of years, where that's not the big issue, where that defense is going to be good enough to keep you in games and and give you a chance at the end, and it's going to be up to the offense to go out there and make the plays to win those games. Uh, because one thing we have haven't really talked about a ton is their schedule. Uh, it, their their schedule is really two halves uh, in terms of difficulty. Their first six games, I mean, out, once you get past Missouri in the opener, um, th- they face five of their next six opponents, I believe. I'll have to double-check that. But five of their next six opponents after that game all had losing records last season. Um, you know, They open at the Mountain West schedule at home against UNLV, uh, who's back on their – schedule uh, from the West Division. Um, and then two weeks later, they come back home and play New Mexico. So two of their first three uh, conference games are against two of the worst teams right now in the Mountain West. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see what those teams look like uh, this season at that point of the year, about the midway point. Um, but they really – they have a chance to really make some headway um, when it comes to their the, – you know their postseason aspirations uh, in the first six seven games of the year, and then you when the calendar flips to November, that's when things really get tough. You got back to back road games at Boise State and Utah State. You got to come home for the Border War against Colorado State, and then you ha- have to end the season on the road at Air Force. So three of their last four games are against or not only on the road but are against teams that were all picked to finish ahead of you in the mountain division. So, um, yeah, that schedule really turns into a bear, uh, the last month of the year. Um, so yeah, they, they really need to make some headway in that, in that first six, seven games a year. And I think that's good just considering, um, you know, the situation at quarterback with trying to get, um, you know, Sean more comfortable and, and open up this offense and get and give this team some confidence early in the year if they can rack up some wins. Yeah, it's like you said, um, this team's got this team has a more favorable lineup, at least on the conference side, early. Um, and it's one of those instances where you really gotta hope that the momentum that you had at the end of last year carries over because um, yeah, if you drop a couple games that you really shouldn't have um, in that first seven-game window, um, you could be in for a very, very difficult time trying to get back to a bowl game. Yeah, I agree. If they if they don't take care of business in the first half of the, of the schedule, uh, considering what they have to face, you know, in those last four games, it'll uh, yeah, they'll struggle to get back to a bowl game. Which which kind of makes this team and this season sort of fascinating to to keep up with because uh, again uh, you know if, if, if they're a lot better than maybe maybe people think they are at the beginning of the year I mean it's not inconceivable that they could start you know five and two six and one something along those lines and 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 put themselves in contention for a division championship in the last month of the year uh, then again if they're not if things don't go well they have a bunch of injuries and this offense continues to, to sputter particularly in the passing game and you know, they they lose some games they probably shouldn't lose. Uh, yeah, I mean, get, getting getting seven wins and just trying to get back to a bowl would be a, 
this is gonna be uh, gonna be a difficult thing to do. So yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting. But um, again, our the first practice uh, with media availability will be Monday morning. Um, so and then once that that happens, we pretty much um, get access uh, throughout the week, every week. The only practices that aren't open to media are on the weekends, which I'm assuming that's when they're going to be scrimmaging. So. Not a big surprise there, but um, you know we will have coverage at trib.com, pucksauthority.com um, throughout fall camp, uh, leading up to the opener against uh, Missouri on August thirty first. But uh, Brady, we can uh, we can take a break there, and then uh, when we get back, we will stick with the group of five uh, and continue the uh, UCF conversation in light of some recent news. Hey everybody, welcome back into the postcast, and now we're going to transition into, or I guess you'd say to (laughs) reignite uh, one of the hottest debates in college football, and that is uh, Central Florida, because they always seem to be a topic of conversation, uh, considering the success they've had the last couple years, and um, the fact that they are, don't don't seem to uh, <clears throat> or be a long shot, I should say, for uh, the college football playoff. But I don't know. I wanted to. I know we've talked about this before, Brady, but I wanted to just dive into this one more time since the season is upon us um, and talk about this because I know that me and you are on different sides of the fence when it comes to this. Um, so this UCF and, and this topic, uh, basically came back to the forefront again recently because UCF announced that it scheduled a home and home series with FIU, which for those of you that aren't aware, that's Florida international. Um, and basically a lot of national, uh, media and some, regional media and even myself um, kind of took UCF to task over that uh, because their athletic director, Danny White, responded to a uh, USA Today reporter, Dan Walken, um, saying that um, they're not going to do an unbalanced schedule in the future because uh, some the backstory to this is, as most people are aware, that 
UCF has gone uh, two straight years for going undefeated in the regular season, but they have not come close to getting in the in the top four for the college football playoff. And um, there's obviously a reason for that because they're they compete in the American Conference and their conference schedule is not nearly strong enough to justify putting them in the top four. Um, so they have to go outside and schedule or try to the best of their ability try to schedule uh, quality non-conference opponents to strengthen their schedule. And Florida has come out and and offered or given them an offer that UCF has declined to do a two-for-one, which would have basically uh, Florida would come would go to Central Florida once in exchange for Central Florida going uh, to the swamp twice to play Florida, um, and UCF turned that down. So um, there's always this debate about well, is Central Florida ever going to uh, you know sniff the top four of the college football playoff, and are they doing? Is it does it matter if they schedule try to schedule quality opponents because it might just all be a moot point because they won't they still won't get in the top four anyway, or do do they need to do everything they can to try to try to get uh, into the playoff? And as I mentioned, me and Brady have different opinions on this. So, Brady, do you want to do you want to start or do you want me to start? Man. Huh. I, okay. My, the way I see wait, this you didn't. Is, are you sorry? Are you starting? Well, this is inequality. That's what this story is. That's what UCF okay. is. So yes. So okay. So yes, you're starting. All right, go ahead. All right, just go. it's 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 basic inequality. Um, I know we talked about it before about how it there's no incentive for Power Five teams to schedule the tough scrappy group of five teams um even though UCF has you know hasn't lost a game in years there's yeah. absolutely that's that's true for the most there's part. absolutely yeah. no incentive for the power five teams to to schedule them because that doesn't help them you know we don't know how good or how the committee treats a win versus UCF because we haven't seen it we don't we don't know if they'd say, if they'd take you know a September or an early uh, October loss in this upcoming season or well we're talking about for this sake talking about scheduling in like 2026 we we don't know if the committee would look at that and say well you know that sort of invalidates all of the progress and all of you know the multi year body of work that UCF has done leading up to it or if it's like Okay, like we actually consider UCF a strong, um, you know, championship caliber side, even though we never put them in that position. And keep in mind, yeah, we've already seen how UCF does against these group against these Power Five teams. They've won. Ask LSU. You know, like ask the team. Uh, they lost. They lost LSU, but no, no, nah, nah, fam, that's perception. Yeah, it's. No, they lost LSU. That's a fact, bro. They lost in the festival last year to LSU. They beat Auburn. Auburn. The year before. Yeah, well, it's, you know, SEC. It's all the yeah. same. Okay. And it's, 
It's not. Right. Go ahead. But it's but also <laughs> you know, I, I it's a it's a stunning and a fascinating um case for F- Florida because they haven't been great lately, you know? Like this this hasn't been peak Florida times. But in in the swamp has kind of been a little lonely lately. But well, they won 10 games last year. But what did they do before that? They won know. like four. What did Central games Florida do before, before they? But what did what's Central Florida ever do before the last two seasons? Anybody ever? I mean, unless you unless you knew Dante Culpepper was nobody knew what Central Florida football was outside of Central Florida. Well, fans. they they went from winless to undefeated under Scott Frost. That's what I know. That's what I'm hearing out of Lincoln right now. Okay. So that's all I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's all. But also. I'd be okay, or I'd I'd be all for it if it were like, um, say we're going to do a home and a home, and then a neutral site game. Say we're going to do one in Gainesville, one in Orlando, and then let's go to Raymond James Stadium for another one. You know, but that's so. Why do the the two for one? Because that benefits Florida. They get two home games out of it, and they get it against in-state competition. Um, so even on that one road game, they don't have to really travel as far. I know that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of bottom lines for these multi-million dollar um, programs, but whatever. Um, it's just, that's what it, I mean, if you want to say, you know, we're doing this, like, come on, we consider UCF equals. If Florida offered that package to Oklahoma and that became public, you know how many people in the national consciousness would say, "Yeah, I don't know why Oklahoma's being, you know, so whiny about this. Florida's trying to schedule them." No. It the, the two for one, you'd get laughed out of the building. So, inherently by offering yeah. this and thinking it's fair, you are putting UCF on a pedestal so far below. How how high has Florida finished the last 2 years? And how high has UCF finished? I guarantee you the Golden Knights have finished above Florida. So, right there, end of season, UCF, better team than Florida. And yet, they keep pulling this crap of we're, of we're giving them a handout, we're trying to help them, but it's by, by doing this package, by doing this crap, by blatantly treating them as unequals, they're just perpetuating the problem. And, I'm, and I ain't about it, man. It's... And I know, again, yeah. I, sound, I sound like a broken record talking every time about the, the damn group of five. But And I'm sure most of our listeners are probably like, yeah, Brady, like UCF would you know, get the doors blown off of them if they ever did this. What if Wyoming went undefeated and didn't get in the championship game? Every single one of you would be screaming, <laughs> saying, to, you know, somebody be man enough to, to come up and schedule us. And yeah. that, but... So that's that's where we're at, man. That's where we're at. So, uh, okay. So you don't. So just to clarify, you don't think UCF to, should do whatever it has to to strengthen its non-conference schedule. I think I think UCF should do whatever it can to improve its schedule to to beef it itself up. But they should be respectful of the position. They they should they shouldn't have to bend over backwards and take an objectively bad unequal deal to, in order to do it. 
Because these football players do whatever they need to do to finish them up. These football players go out and win games. That's what their job is to do. And you're and yet they're the ones that are being punished by this more so than anybody. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd use the word punish. I don't know if that's the right word. But okay. Um, anyway, I'm I'm going to start at the very beginning here, um, and I'll, I'll start by saying all of this very well be a moot point because and we we've talked I know we've talked about this in another podcast. I think it was, I think it was actually right after the Bulls were announced, like beginning of the year, because Central Florida, you know, I think they finished like. I don't know, eighth or something, the final CFP rankings. Um, but um, they may never get in the top four. And if if college football is not going to expand the playoff to eight teams, I've been on record saying that they should just do two separate playoffs then. You know, ha- have a group of five playoff and have your a power five playoff. Um. But this is the system we're in. Th- this is reality. I mean, college, it might go to eight playoffs in the future. I think it's going to go to 18 playoff in the future. Um, where Central Florida, if they went undefeated, they would for sure get in an 18 playoff in the future. Now, who knows? And another that's another part of this, too, is I don't necessarily think Central Florida is – in this for the long haul. I don't think this is some team that suddenly, um, you know, figured it out recruiting wise and everybody else around the, in their conference got worse. And there, there's some up and coming juggernaut that's going to be a force in college football for the next two decades. Like, I think this is, they, they, they sort of struck gold um, with, with some of the hires they made. Uh, they recruited McKenzie Milton, the quarterback who, before he suffered that gruesome leg injury was a revelation for them, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, but they can they don't recruit the same caliber of athletes as Power Five or even some of their other group. Of five. I mean, you can make a case that Boise State recruits at a higher level more consistently than Central Florida does. They operate, obviously, at a much smaller athletic budget. Um, so I, I don't think this is this is something that's going to be sustained over the next 20 years for them. Um, so this is the reality of the situation that we're in. This is a 14 playoff for now. And you've come, you've gone undefeated in two straight regular seasons and you've been left out of the college football playoff and frankly, haven't been that close. And again, if if, if that's as close as they're going to get to a, in a 14 playoff, if it's going to stay at a 14 playoff, then yeah, I would tend to agree with you. And at that point, you, you, you need, college football needs to decide and make a decision on whether they're going to expand this thing. And, and if not, then just have two different playoffs for the group of five and the power five. But if you if you've gone undefeated these two years, and this is the system that we're currently in, again, it's it's not. I mean, you can sit here and complain about it and say you want change and there should be more teams. And I mean, people people will always do that. 
I mean, it was that case when you had the BCS when only two teams were getting in. Now you want four. Now people want eight. I mean, if you go to eight and, you know, the, the team that ends up <laughs> being ranked ninth or tenth, they're going to want a 16-team playoff. You know, the, I don't think you could ever make anybody happy regardless of the system. But if this is the system you're in and you've been Central Florida and you've been, you've been so close and you've, and you've been undefeated – two regular seasons in a row you need to do anything and everything in your power to to put together the best resume that you can that's worthy of a playoff spot and a 14 playoff and going undefeated in the AAC with marginal non-conference opponents isn't going to get it done nor does it deserve to get it done and I and I agree with you um and, and yeah, we've had that conver- this conversation too. That the uh, the point that Central Florida's program is at now, there aren't a whole lot of quality Power Five teams that want to schedule them. I understand, like scheduling uh, Central Florida is in no way beneficial to you because they're a good team, and and everybody else has to watch out for themselves too. You know, a, a loss, um, any sort of loss, you know, c- could obviously. Hit, affect your chances of making the playoff if if you're one of those teams that is consistently um, sort of in the running or in, in the top 10 every year uh, in the rankings. And, um, yeah, I, for, and, and if I were a Central Florida fan, I would be angry. I would be upset at my AD coming out and saying, being more concerned about um, unbalanced scheduling rather than doing everything you can to get into the play. And that's that's sort of what the, the basis of my argument is. It feels like Central Florida is more worried about somehow proving that they're equals, which that that's something that you bring up. And Central Florida is not an equal. They never will be an equal for the reasons I've mentioned. Lower, being group of five, being lower, operating on a lower athletic budget, not signing and recruiting at the same level that most of the Power Five programs recruit at consistently. Uh, so this idea that that Central Florida is somehow they've had two good years and all of a sudden they want to be considered as equal, no, like miss me with every single bit of that. That's ridiculous. So, so if you if we're getting into scheduling, um, yeah, in my opinion, they should be doing everything they could do to make the playoff and to put together a resume that is worthy of consideration for that. And I feel like Central Florida is more worried about trying to somehow grandstand in this attempt to make make itself more important and more worthy than it is rather than doing everything they can in, with their non-conference uh, to try to make the playoff. And... You don't get to sit here if you're UCF and and talk about, um, you know, be, we're the small guy that's always going to be left out, um, and you know, there's nothing we can do, and and we're tr- or, or we're trying to do everything we can to put a to schedule quality opponents, uh, and 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 create this resume that that's that's worthy for a playoff spot. Um, when you're sitting when when a power five team like Florida, and you, you talked about Florida some. 
whether they, you know, it, are, are what are they going to look like in a year or two or what? They just won 10 games. And for my money, Dan Mullen is the second best coach in the SEC and has been for a long time. I mean, even at Mississippi State, I mean, they went to an Orange Bowl at Mississippi State when he was there. Uh, they consistently won eight, nine games at Mississippi State. I mean, Mississippi State, that one, one of, if not the hardest job in the SEC. And he turned them into a perennial winner. And in my opinion, Florida, they're, they're already preseason top 10 this year in, in the coaches' poll that's come out. That's going to be, I think he is going to have them um, perennially as a top 10 team. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think they're, they're going anywhere under Dan Mullen. And suddenly, you won't, you won't take them up on their offer because just because you have to go to their place twice. And just because you think you're somehow better than that, like I don't understand the logic of that when the whole point is to try to, again, piece together a resume that is worthy of, of a top four spot and, and a playoff berth. Like you're make, you're making grandstanding and puffing out your chest and, and pounding your fist and saying that we're being disrespected more than actually putting in the kind of effort you need to uh, to try to get a playoff spot if you go undefeated. Like, and, and if you, I mean, if we want to sit here and talk about fair, I mean, you, you can make that argument across the board. Um, is it fair that Central Florida gets to beat up on American Conference teams and play maybe one ranked team a year, if that, when there are six SEC teams and multiple teams from every group or Power Five conference that are ranked every year, and they they sit up there and, and they have they have three or four losses because they beat they beat up on each other all season long. Like, I mean, that's not fair either. So, I mean, you can you can sit here and, and whine about it, and cry about it all day about fair or not or equal. Like, the bottom line is Central Florida has been really close, and again, I believe that they have a window here to actually. Um, make a push for a spot in the college football playoff. Again, it may it may not happen. They could they could schedule Florida and 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 beat them, and it's still not happen. Now, for my in my opinion, if they went undefeated with a with a win over a top ten, top fifteen Florida team on the road, like you're you're getting in. And at that point, if you didn't get in, then you would then you could absolutely have. I mean, you could you could cry, whine, do whatever you wanted to do. I mean, throw an absolute temper tantrum if you wanted to, if you're in Central Florida and that happened. But for a team to come along like Florida, like a power or any other quality Power Five opponent, and offer you that chance, and you turn it down, and hinder your ability to put together a quality enough resume for a spot in the playoff because you feel somehow slighted because all of us, you've had some more success than you've been used to the last two years. I just, I I don't understand that when the point is to do every effort you can to get into the playoff. Like that's, that's the bottom line. And to be fair to central Florida, it should be noted that they are scheduling power five teams uh, because they do have, Georgia Tech and North Carolina coming up on their schedule in a few years. They are playing Stanford this year, which but Stanford is the only team as of as of 
now, you know, according to the preseason polls, that that's ranked. That's on their schedule. And Stanford was 23rd, I think. They were the low 20s in the coaches poll. Like, I, I don't know what that's – you know, and Stanford may not end up being that good this year. I mean, we'll see what they do. Um, but North Carolina, Georgia Tech, I mean, what are those teams going to look like in a year or two? I mean, Georgia Tech just changed coaches. North Carolina just hired Mac Brown. I mean, he's getting a lot of, uh, you know, weight with that hire just because of what he did at Texas, but he also flamed out at Texas. And to ask him to go to North Carolina and turn them into a you know, top 15, top 20 program, yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen at this stage of his career. So it's not not all Power 5 teams are created equal. And again, I mean, in, in Central Florida's defense, yes, it is difficult to schedule quality when not a whole lot of them want to schedule you. But when a team like Florida does come and offers you that opportunity, you turn it down, you can't sit here and talk about how you're doing everything possible to uh, you know make your resume worthy for a playoff spot. And then you're going – turning around and scheduling FIU just because they're offering a home and home and Florida wants you to come to their place one more time. Like I, 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 that, that sort of logic blows my mind when you're trying to make a case as to why you should be getting into the college football playoff. It's not a fair deal. So, like, of course, dude, no, 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 it's not, but everything's not fair. It's not fair. Like it's, like I said, there, I mean, you can argue that across the board, man. What do you, it's not fair. Like, there are a lot of other teams in Power 5 conferences that would probably be undefeated if they played UCF schedule. So go outside and play somebody. I don't care if you have to. And it, it's not like it's not like Florida's asking them to do a five for one. It's I mean, it's one more road game for them. But I get I, I, I don't understand that when the, when the whole point is if you're, you're trying to get make a worthy enough case for a playoff spot. In this, in this current uh, setting that we have with four teams, like you sh- if you're UCF, you should be doing everything in your power to get there and, and put yourself in position to make the playoff. And, that, and look, UCF's a good team, man. I, no, like nobody's arguing that. Like and so people like even casual football fans they would love to see UCF play some of these quality Power Five opponents in the regular season to see to not only enhance their profile maybe get them on national TV more but just to, and to see if they can actually beat these teams like I think casual college football fans just want would like to see UCF play these other teams and like you said they did beat Auburn two years ago they lost to LSU last year and what was a semi competitive game. But I, I, I just I, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand why you would why you're hindering your chances when you have this window of opportunity to actually make some sort of run at this thing after what you've done the last two years because you're, essentially your non conference schedule wasn't even close to to being good enough. Like that, I just I don't know. I just I to me it's more about. If I'm UCF or any group of five team, and I've had this success and I've been somewhat close the last two years and I've had this run of wins over the last couple of seasons, I would be trying to do everything in my power 
to put myself in a better position for a playoff berth. Again, I'm not saying it would happen, but I think you have to do everything in your power to try to do that. So that that's just me. Like if I were that program, that would be what I'd be prioritizing rather than trying to tell everybody that I'm I'm getting screwed over and I'm not going to do this because I feel like I'm some sort of equal when I'm really not. But again, so. it's it's on the athletic director to make deals and to make things that are beneficial for the program. Why would you intentionally take a bad deal? For this is like. Okay, Real Madrid is trying to get rid of Gareth Bale, all right? I know, everybody, this is a quick uh, La Liga, Real Madrid, um, real football sort of um, reference, so you might not get it, but stick with me. I'll try to to use small words. And Real Madrid is trying to get rid of Gareth Bale. He's an incredible, best Welsh footballer on the planet, incredible winger, but he had injury problems, and he just hasn't been comfortable there the last year they have been open and like insurrection about his desire to leave and to get him off the books but as his quality he's an expensive player some teams don't want to pay that much for him they will offer like 40 million dollars for him which is insultingly low and Real Madrid rightfully says no, we're not going to sell him for that little money. We know what he's worth. So under this same exact thought process of you've got to do whatever you can to get rid of to you know, if you want to get rid of him, you got to do whatever you can. Then that's allowing just why would you, why would you take so little money for such a high quality player? That that would be a bad deal. If you let get if you were managing Real Madrid, if you were Zinedine Zidane or anybody in the front office, and you let Gareth Bale go for 25, 30 million euro, you would be thrown out of the building. And the moment you're outside, you'd probably be ran out of Madrid, to be perfectly honest. Why you don't make deals that are so insultingly bad and are blatantly unequal. That is what this Florida offer was to UCF. And yeah, you've got to, and if you're UCF, you've got to do what you can, but we've had the BCS system and now the playoff for what like 20 years now combined how many times in that window have we had a now a group of 5 or a non-major program playing for a national championship how many times have we had it in the conversation never it's never happened the closest was Boise when they beat Oklahoma but and that was obvi- and that's still an iconic game. That's top five games of all time, probably, historically speaking. So I don't know why a bad, an obviously bad deal made now would, yeah, it might heighten your profile, but it, it also, not, but it also sets the precedent bad. of like, all right, these people will take anything. We can lowball them. And it, you make that bad deal at the risk of doing what? Falling the same victim and having the same fate as every other group of five or sub power program standing has done for the last 20 years i it's it's not a ucf problem it's not a scheduling problem it's not it's it's an inequity problem because of just blatant historical disenfranchisement for these smaller programs that's what it is it's it's it doesn't matter what ucf does to be i mean 
They didn't win it. Okay, so that's so, so that's the, that's the gist of your argument then. It, so they shouldn't schedule. They shouldn't do that deal because they're not going to get in regardless. That that's what you're saying. You know, I kind of yeah. They shouldn't do that deal because they're they're yeah. built to lose. They're in a must lose situation, only lose situation. That's what this is. They went over a calendar year without losing, and they had a longer winning streak than any other team in the country, and they still weren't given an opportunity to hold up a trophy to be the best to to be crowned the best team in the country. And if you at at its base level, if you are the the winningest team in the country for an entire season and you're not given the opportunity to play for a championship, I I don't know what else you can do. I I don't know what else you're supposed well, to do. Schedule on. a game, schedule a home and a, a home or two for one. Eight years, ten years down the line, thinking that you know things might be different. Then, look, man, there's a lot of things in this world that are happening right now that we've heard about and we've been debating for decades now, but they remain the same. Because at the base level, the people who profit aren't bound to do anything about it. This doesn't behoove yeah, the people but... in power to change anything because they're benefiting from the system. It's not until somebody actually acts upon it. That we have one of these these smaller groups, these smaller programs, these franchises and programs that have been disenfranchised for so long, and these people who have been held down by the system for so long, till they can actually do something about it. Because, or it's just going to have to be blatant rebellion. The group of five are going to have to ditch the NCAA and build their own sanctioning program. Okay, that's what it's going to take. Because it's happened for so long, and yeah, I'm tired, and that's why I'm kind of like it doesn't matter. Because, historically speaking, it doesn't matter. No matter what has been done across this country for years and years and years, we've seen think we've seen debatable topics come and go, and we keep doing them in like like clockwork and like. Okay, well we're we're just talking about college college football playoff, man. Man, That's everybody who knows anything knows it ain't. It's never just about college football, you know. <laughs> it's. Yeah. Uh, okay. It is what it is. Okay, but okay, you, you okay? You mentioned Central Florida being the most successful in terms of winning percentage over the last two years and all the games they won. But you you say that as if everybody plays the same schedule. Like that is that's apples and oranges. Like how many teams would go undefeated if they played UCF schedule? That's that's kind of the whole point. Like UCF. UCF needs to schedule tougher out of because their conference schedule is incomparable to Power Five conferences. Like that, like that's kind of the whole point. Like, like Florida is giving them a, gave them a chance to actually play ranked teams. Like all these other all these other Power Five, they play multiple ranked teams every year. Central Florida has probably played one in the last two seasons. Like it's it's not the same. It's not equal. Man, but you make it you make it sound like it is when you say that. Well, it's it's not equal. Like like some con- some context is needed in that. Like they're not playing Florida or Alabama or, or whoever. I mean, they're not playing even just quality Power Five teams for the most part. Like, I mean, it will. But also, we'll, we throw we throw teams like Notre Dame. I mean, they're technically you know they're not Power Five, but 
because they're independent, but obviously they, you know, you'd consider that a power five team or a high caliber team. How many times does yeah. Notre Dame have to get in there before and get clowned by 40 points before we say, you know, maybe <laughs> Notre Dame just shouldn't be allowed in because historically speaking. No, I actually, I actually agree with Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I, Notre Dame's always overrated. Everybody thinks this is still the 80s and 90s in Notre Dame for some reason. And. And how many times do we have to just? It, it comes down to Clemson and Alabama. That's what it has, you know. That's what it has for years, basically. The, you know, um, so yeah. Why? Even at some point, why don't we say, you know what, Clemson, Alabama national championship? Write it down, and then let everybody else play out for something different, man. Or, or how about yeah. th- how about Alabama schedule? A SEC opponent or a Power Five opponent instead of Savannah State um, in mid-November, so they can get an extra bye week. How about that? How about well, because because Alabama plays five ranked teams during their conference schedule every oh, year. But Al- that's probably so, and Alabama can pay these FCS teams however much money to come and play, and they're like, yeah, we you know we play our conference schedule right away, you know. Week three, we have a conference game. It's like, yeah, you open it up that way so you can have that extra bye week on the back end. When these other teams are grinding themselves week in, week out in the conference, you've got an FCS team coming to coming to town, and it's essentially an extra bye week. Or it's a scrimmage, basically. And not everybody is going to be Appalachian State coming into the big house and winning. We know that. And again, his, historically speaking, FCS teams will not be able to compete with Alabama. And that, but should they get that opportunity to play Alabama? Absolutely. That makes them better. That increases the profile of their programs. That benefits them. And they get they straight up get paid a lot of money for it. But yeah, I that's all. That's another component to it that I just really don't like. Is yeah. how these major programs, these these bastions of college football, these pillars of the community, can tweak the system like that to benefit themselves. When if somebody else tried to do it now, either they wouldn't be allowed to, or they'd get a bad deal, or they'd get hit, you know, with a PR and you know perception nightmare. Basically, I, so I don't like how Alabama is treated different than that. That's a big problem I have. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. This this conversation is going on a, a totally different tangent, but uh, yeah, I don't like. Bottom line to me is, if, if you're trying to get in and you play as weak a schedule, conference schedule as Central Florida does, and a Florida a team like Florida comes to you and offers you a two for one, like I'm, t- you should be you should be doing that if your priority is to put together a resume worthy enough. Uh, or that you think is actually worthy enough for a playoff spot, period. Because it's it's not the same. The, these group of these power five teams play qual, play multiple ranked teams every year, and so they don't have to necessarily go out and schedule quality non conference opponents. Now they probably should, from a fan perspective, if they want fans to actually come to their home games rather than stay at home where they don't have to spend you know hundreds of dollars to come to a game. That's a totally different discussion, but. UCF has to, and if that's your priority, and maybe it's not their priority, maybe their priority is, you know, trying to 
show everybody or you know convince themselves that they're equal, and that's fine. But then don't turn around and say say oh we people won't schedule us, and we're trying to do everything we can when you're turning down a scheduling opportunity against Florida, and then turning around and scheduling FIU just because they don't they'll do a home on home instead of a two for one. Like that's ridiculous. But I don't know, man. We we could sit here and debate this all the time. Uh, and I think this is a debate, regardless if it's a Central Florida or whatever next hot group of five team comes along. Like, like I said, I don't, I don't think there's a system where, where you can make everybody happy. And I mean, yeah, I mean, at a, at a certain point, if particularly if this playoff doesn't expand to eight teams, again, I think you got to get to a point where you're probably talking about doing two separate playoffs for group of five and power five. Um, and, and I will quickly, before we wrap this up, I will say too, that if there's a, I understand central Florida might have an issue from, from the financial side of it. You know, when you're, when you, when you're having to go to on the road to a Florida or whatever power five team, uh, more again, uh, one more time than you go to, they come to your place. Like that—that's a whole game where you're missing out on ticket sales and concessions and and the revenue that comes with that. But if you're as good as you think you are, and you get to a New Year's Six game like Central Florida has done the last two years with the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, you the payouts for those are millions of dollars. Like so, you're going if if you end up going to that game and you win it, you're going to make up that money and some and more. If you if you end up going to those games and you're as good as you think you are now if if you don't end up being as good as you if you, as you think you're going to be then it, it doesn't really matter I mean you're not scheduling that that kind of game against Florida or whatever quality power five opponent anyway but I, to me the 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 financial argument of that doesn't really fly either when you would be getting that money back and more if you end up going to a New Year's Six game uh, and, and being the type of team that you think you're going to be at the beginning of the season so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, we, I mean, we could sit here and debate this all day, but I, I think that, that you should be, if you're an athletic director or a group of five team and you're, you're in a position that Central Florida has been the last two years and, and you're trying to, to get into, break into the top four, you should be doing everything in your power to do that. Right, but so. like take for instance – Boise State and Florida State, um, really nothing. Boise State is consistently a quality program. Um, why? why yeah, why they don't consistently go that? undefeated. That, that's the whole, that's the whole caveat. To right, that. But, you have to go undefeated. But, Boise State doesn't do that. Wyoming fans know that Boise State is a quality program, and Florida State decides we're going to reach out to them and sign them, and we're going to get them on the schedule. But you know what else? They sign them to a straight home and home. I mean, even. The this year's game in Tallahassee uh, has been relocated to Jacksonville, but then next year they go to Boise, and there's no return to Florida. There's no two for one. They Florida State said, "Hey, we're going to treat you as an equal. We're we're going to do this. We want to make this work. We we think you're a quality team, and playing you is going to make us better for two years. That's that changes everything." Yeah. If you turn it, if you, if, okay, if you, well, t- for me, if that was the deal and UCF turned it down, I'd say, shame on you. But that's not the deal. 
Well, Boise State's also is also a more established program. I mean, they they've done this for the last thirteen years. I mean, they've been they've established themselves as one of, if not the best group of five program in the country for almost two decades, fifteen years or so. Sure. I mean, Central Florida has been is on a hot streak for two years. I mean, what are they? I mean, Mackenzie Milton's not even playing this year. I mean, I, I wish that kid a speedy recovery, but um, yeah, that that leg injury he's probably he's not playing this year. So th- now they've got a different quarterback. They're breaking. I don't even know if they'll go undefeated this year. I mean, I, and it's like I mentioned it when at the start of this segment. I I just I don't Central Florida is not going to be this hot team forever. That's going to be that's I don't think Central Florida is the next Boise State. Is what I'm saying. Maybe look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we come back in five years and. You know, they're still a perennial top twenty team. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about, it, but I don't. I don't see that. I think this is a flash in the pan for Central Florida, and it goes back to my point of doing everything you can right now under this current system to give yourself a shot. And I mean, you can sit here and debate fair or not fair all day. Like Florida came to you with an opportunity that no other Power Five, or I should say, quality Power Five opponent right now is giving you, and you turned it down because you just don't want to go. You think it's unfair. You just don't want to go back to Florida one more time. Like, to, to, again, it's all about prioritizing what you want. And apparently Central Florida doesn't care about making a strong enough schedule uh, to be deemed worthy enough for a playoff spot. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Man. We've talked about this forever. We, we, need to, <laughs> we need to wrap this up. We, we can talk about this all day, but. Yeah, that's just the way I feel about it. Yeah. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, all right, guys. Well, yeah, we're going to wrap it up there. I know we have rambled on about this, but um, please continue to uh, check out PokesAuthority.com and Trib.com for all of our coverage of Wyoming during fall camp. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Pokes Authority at Wild Varsity. You can follow me on Twitter at Davis E. Potter and Brady on Twitter, Twitter Machine as well at Brady Altman's. Uh, this podcast is on uh, iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. So be sure to uh, follow along, download it, like it, share it, give us that five star rating. Um, Brady, got anything quickly you want to add before we get out of here? No, I think I said it all. I think. No man is an island. There. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Good good enough. Um, But, yeah, we will try to get this thing back on a weekly schedule going forward. Um, There's a lot of um, projects that that I and us as a uh, paper are working on in the month of August. So, I'm not promising that we'll be back every week. But we're going to try our best to... uh, get back on a weekly schedule moving forward um appreciate you guys uh listening and following along and uh, we will catch up with you guys later